0: Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your host Dodd Abernathy, Jeff Copsetta,
1: and Henry Sledge.
2: Most certainly none of the Marine officers on Peleliu received their commissions by ballot. Nor did the $21 monthly pay of the young volunteer Marine privates come from some individual's bank account. But the aging survivors of the old breed, officers and enlisted men alike, will tell you they would have gladly voted to decorate and promote one of Peleliu's officers to whatever level of command he thought he was qualified to fill. His name was Paul Douglas. He was a captain, possibly the oldest in Marine Corps history to serve in that rank in frontline combat. From beginning to end, his wartime career was unique. Douglas, a distinguished and nationally renowned 51-year-old professor of economics at the University of Chicago, when he refused a direct commission to volunteer as a private on May 15, 1942. It took the personal intervention of Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox, a longtime admirer and friend, for the Marine Corps to waive its age limit and rigid physical standards to allow the rail-thin, white-maned, bispeckled academic to join up. Not only that, but Douglas demanded that he undergo the same rigorous, dawn-to-dust training as any other recruit in the pine forests and swamps of Parris Island. The young men mostly robust, hot-to-trot teenagers, were astounded by the determination and endurance of, in the words of one of them, this strange and marvelous old man who never complained and did his job as good, sometimes better, than the rest of our platoon. He asked of no favors from the crusty drill instructors, and if anyone offered, he no doubt would have unhesitantly said, no thanks. To this day, no one else of Douglas's age has been accepted for Marine Corps recruit training, and is extremely doubtful that anyone accepted could make it through the brutal physical regimen, tough discipline, emotional stress, and purposely imposed hardships that were then, and still are, the trademarks of boot camp in the Corps. After proving to himself and countless doubters that he had the stuff to make a fighting Marine, Douglas accepted the Captain's Commission. It was the idea of the United States Marine Headquarters to post him in a comfortable, innocuous, safe stateside desk job secretary knox again intervened and captain douglas got his wish to join an overseas combat division little wonder that the ex-professor quickly became known throughout the division as guna den he seemed to be everywhere on the island always appearing when least expected and most needed eugene sledge recalls an incident early in the battle when enemy artillery and mortar fire were creating havoc everywhere on the beach and amtrak carrying desperately needed water and ammunition clanked up to where his platoon was dug in a few hundred feet from the front.
1: Our attack was called off late in the afternoon, and we were ordered to set up our mortar for the night. An NCO came by and told me to go with him and about four others from other platoons to unload an Amtrak bringing up supplies for Company K. We arrived at the designated place, dispersed a little so as to not draw fire, and waited for the Amtrak. In a few minutes, it came clanking up in a swirl of white dust. You guys from K Company, Fifth Marines? Asked the driver. Yeah, you got chow and ammo for us? Asked our NCO. Yeah, sure have. Got a unit of fire, water, and rations. Better get it unloaded as soon as you can or we'll draw fire, the driver said as his machine lurched to a halt and he climbed down. The tractor was an older model such as I had landed from on D-Day. It didn't have a drop tailgate, so we climbed aboard and hefted the heavy ammo boxes over the side and down onto the deck. Let's go, boys, our NCO said as he and a couple of us climbed onto the tractor. I saw him gaze in amazement down into the cargo area of the tractor. At the bottom, wedged under a pile of ammo boxes, we saw one of those infernal 55-gallon oil drums of water. Filled, they weighed several hundred pounds. Our NCO rested his arms on the side of the tractor and remarked in an exasperated tone, it took a bloody genius of a supply officer to do that. How in the hell are we supposed to get that drum out of there? I don't know, said the driver, I just bring it up. We cursed and began unloading the ammo as fast as possible. We had expected the water to be in several five gallon cans, each of which weighed a little more than 40 pounds. We worked as rapidly as possible But then we heard that inevitable and deadly. Three big mortar shells exploded, one after the other, not far from us. "Uh Uh-oh, the stuff's at the fan now, groaned one of my buddies. Bear a hand, you guys, on the double, said our NCO. Look, you guys, I'm going to have to get this tractor the hell out of here. If it gets knocked out and it's my fault, the lieutenant will
2: have my can in a crack, groaned the driver. You fellas need some help? Asked a Marine who suddenly appeared on the scene. Sledge and his comrades hadn't noticed him until he spoke. The newcomer identified himself. I'm Captain Paul Douglas, the regimental adjunct. I am proud to be with you and the men of the 5th Marines. He wore green dungarees, leggings, a cloth-covered helmet like ourselves, and carried a forty five caliber automatic pistol like any mortar gunner, machine gunner, or one of our officers, Sledge remembered. But being in combat, there wasn't any rank insignia. What astonished us was that he looked more to be 55 years old and wore glasses. A rarity among men on Peleliu, and when he took off his helmet, we all saw his gray hair. "'Gosh, Captain, you don't have to be up here at all, do you?' One of the men asked as he passed ammunition boxes to Douglas. "'No,' the elderly captain answered. "'But I always want to know how you boys up here are making out, and I want to help if I can.'" The men scampered for cover at the wish-wish sound of three more incoming mortar shells that exploded. "'That exploded one after the other, several yards away. They waited for another barrage, but none came. Douglas was the first to pull himself over the Amtrak side as the shaken Marines followed to finish unloading the cargo with a new surge of energy. The cumbersome drum was hoisted overboard by a rope sling as the beat-faced NCO yelled out instructions, spouting a string of obscenities at the brainless fat-ass rear echelon bastard who thought filling a dirty fuel barrel with drinking water was a good idea. Several more mortar shells slammed down nearby shortly after the Amtrak was emptied, and the driver roared back towards the relative safety of the beach. Captain Douglas helped the working party stack the heavy ammunition boxes as he bade each man, So long, good luck. And remember, keep your heads down, as he trudged down the slope. Sledge heard one of his buddies ask, What's that crazy old gray-haired guy doing up here when he could be back at regiment? The NCO growled, Shut up! Knock it off, you eight balls! He's trying to help knuckleheads like you, and he's a damn good man. The storyline you just heard can be found in Peleliu, the Triagic Triumph, by Bill D. Ross. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast, and we are back again. Hope you guys enjoyed that little intro about uh, Captain Douglas. And joining us, as always, from Texas is Mr. Jeff Copsetta. Jeff, how are you doing tonight, sir?
3: Outstanding. Thank
1: you.
2: And as always, Mr. Henry Sledge. Henry, how are you doing?
1: Uh, Fantastic.
2: And our special guest tonight... Coming from parts unknown, because show prep, I don't do any, and I forgot to ask, (laughs) but uh, you know her from Instagram is Sarah the History Chick, Miss Sarah Levy. Sarah, how are you doing tonight, ma'am?
0: I'm doing good, thank you.
2: What parts of the world are you from? Where are you broadcasting out of tonight?
0: Oregon,
2: Oregon. Fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Jeff and I came across you on Instagram and we love we we're talking before you came on. We love what you do with Instagram. Um, a lot of people do Instagram. Most of its photos, World War Two stuff, reenactment photos, what have you. But you've taken a little different direction. Um, for those listening at home and watching at home, explain to our audience um, how you got the idea for your, what you're doing on Instagram and how you come up with your content and exactly what you're doing.
0: Um, so <laughs> my direction with my history page, I'm a very detail-oriented person. So when I share something that fascinates me, which is what I do, a lot of people post kind of the same stuff um, over and over again. I like to look for the very interesting stories, the unsung heroes, um and all that type of stuff and then the format of my posts i do uh, as much information as i can in there and people love pictures and and that type of stuff so that's kind of where i went and then i decided to start doing an instagram live series called history behind the page where um i interview the people behind your favorite history pages the the youtubers the you know everybody in history, just so you can get to know them a little bit more. and it's also a live q and a so you can ask them questions of that your little heart desires and that's kind of a where my page is at? <laughs> one
2: of the things we like to in a nutshell <laughs> one of the things we like to do on the uh, podcast when first time we have a guest on is kind of get the background. um how did you get into history or where did it spark for you? um where did it all begin really?
0: <clears throat> well, I think my my first love of history started when i was in middle school we were learning about the civil war and we we played out the civil war chronologically in class and we split up the class into the north and south and for some reason i got picked to be uh ulysses grant and read (laughs) what happened on that day uh in the uh in the class and then uh we watched the movie glory and at the time, I was in the Matthew Broderick fan club, so I was so excited to see the movie. And then watching that movie, it just sparked my interest. And then um, it went all throughout high school. And then, um, you know, after that, I started working in the local film industry with a bunch of other history nerds, and it just kind of, you know, went from there. Also, my my opa served in World War II. He was a uh, staff sergeant in the Fourth Armored Division, so got a little passionate about that too and kind of it in a nutshell
2: (laughs) i was just thinking how the world is. i don't think i i can't imagine a lot of schools would get away with playing glory in school anymore i just don't at least the the, full uncensored version
0: yeah no not nowadays not nowadays
2: (laughs) i always thought schindler's list should be required watching for seniors classes but i don't think they'd be able to get away with showing schindler's list in school but i always thought schindler's list should be required watch for senior history class there's yeah, I watched Schindler's
0: that. List sophomore year of high school, and um, yeah, again times have changed since then, but it definitely wouldn't be
2: appropriate
0: now. But I do think that I agree with you on that one. So,
2: absolutely, Jeff. You got any uh, any questions? Yeah.
3: I'm kind of curious. So when, uh, yeah, when we first linked up, uh, one of the posts, one of the first posts I remember seeing was like, what's your, what's your history jam or something like that. And you would answer, oh, yeah. uh, my mine is world war II and now the Korean war, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Did I? Yeah. Was
3: that you that responded? So, uh, you know, we don't talk a whole lot Korean war on here, obviously, mm-hmm. but, uh, no reason why we shouldn't. So I'm kind of curious how, how did you fall in on, on kind of the, uh, well, the forgotten war,
0: the Forgotten War. Yes, um, I found a book at Goodwill called The Last Stand of Fox Company, and it just intrigued me. So I I read it and I learned about uh the Marines and the Battle of the Chosen and and all this stuff, and it just sparked an interest. And now it's just I didn't realize how intense the Korean War was. Um, I feel like it gets skipped over a lot. People just go from World War II to Vietnam mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Yes. Um. Yeah, and so it just it it drew me in, and that's kind of where I started, like about two years ago, and now I've just been going with that.
3: <laughs> well, that that's interest.
0: awesome. <laughs> Absolutely,
3: because yeah. you know, it, I know in the reenacting world, a lot of us will hear like, "Oh, that's that's post-war. That's probably Korean War or whatever." Like, mm-hmm. it, it seems like things just lose their value because it's it's not World War II. Oh, it's Korean War stuff. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's just sometimes that kind of, that bothers me a little bit, not that I'm a huge Korean war vet, but combat is combat and our boys bled and yeah. fought and died and no less than anywhere else in the world in the history of this country. So I just, I found that fascinating. It's just something you, you don't come across. So, uh, you know, congratulations to you and, and for you having the kind of platform that you do have to, to bring notice to that. Uh, I've seen you've done the same thing with an engineer, a common engineer unit here uh, just recently on your platform as well. So to get mm-hmm. those stories out, you know, just just congratulations to you for doing that, because that's what this community you know, all about. We either we're hitting the beach somewhere at a reenactment, uh, dressing up somewhere, doing air shows or exactly what you're doing. I, I love what you're doing.
2: Oh, so thank doing. you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thanks. <laughs> you know, that's something we've discussed here on the podcast in the past, too, is um, we you know, we've talked about it and I think it would be more and more poignant now just because of the availability of World War II veterans is m- maybe we should start focusing on trying to find you know do some interviews with some Korean War veterans and and sh- help shine a light on that and it is true what Jeff is saying about it. it's kind of well they call it the forgotten war for a reason but the interesting thing about living history and way we've seen it the last couple of years the younger cats are getting older where um, you know I'm seeing a lot of kids whose grandparents fought in Vietnam so now they're doing Vietnam impressions. And so now when you go Mm -hmm. to these multi-timeline impressions, you'll have the, the, the few people who still, you know, at least down here, you know, most of the civil war cats stick to the civil war only, but every once in a while you'll see a few of them meander into the multi-timelines. And then occasionally you might have a one or two world war one guys and a a plethora of world war two guys. And now you're starting to see the Vietnam and even I've actually seen some of these younger cats whose dad's fought in the Gulf War and Iraq War, starting to try to track down that stuff and start to build those impressions out. So as the time, mm-hmm. it's interesting how as the timeline goes by, the direct descendants of the people who fought in whatever combat, that's how those timelines start to form because they want to learn more about their grandparents or what their father did or mothers did. And and so it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting to see how the hobby is just ever growing based on the age of the person participating.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Do you do a lot of, uh, you know, I've, I'm seeing the Instagram photo of you. Um, do you do any, have you toyed around with any living history at all? Or do you primarily just do the, um, your version on uh, Instagram and the video formats?
0: Um, mostly just Instagram and the video formats. I I haven't gotten out much. <laughs> um, so haven't done much of the, of the living history part. So
2: now, as you were saying, Fourth Armored Division. I see you have Staff Sergeant Jack Levy. Have you ever been? Have you been able to find out a lot of his history, or is it just kind of what paperwork some of your relatives still have? Because I'm I'm having that problem with my grandfather who served in your Europe, the European theater, but sadly, mm-hmm. a lot of his paperwork was in that fire in what what was it, Jeff? The mid '90s, where a lot of the uh, paperwork got burnt up, and so oh.
3: Oh.
0: In, mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so I didn't know if you're able to track down more information on him or just based off what your family has.
0: I, I have a lot of what my family has. Um, I kind of just have his, his basic paperwork, his, his discharge papers, uh, and everything. So tracking his step by steps has been a little bit difficult, but, um, luckily I have some friends who love to do that and have helped me out with that. Um, but you know the 4th Armored Division moved super fast mm-hmm. <laughs> during the war, so they didn't stay, stay put too long. Um, but I'm, st- I'm st- still trying to piece those over together over the past seven years, but um, it's slowly getting there. I have all his medals. I have all of his uh, stuff that my aunt and uncle sent me. So um, yeah, we're still still getting there. I want to know exactly where he was at what time, and it's slowly coming together.
2: That's fantastic. Do you get a lot of messages mm-hmm. from other um, women out there who are, I'm sure, thrilled to see what you're doing, but maybe wondering how maybe they can kind of get their voice out or more interest into history and and like uh, probably what a lot of the uh, women's contribution was to the war effort.
0: Um, I haven't. I haven't received any messages like that. My page, my page is pretty new, so I haven't reached out to other people and other people haven't reached out to me that much so um but we'll we'll see but the you know the women's effort in the war is absolutely amazing so
2: (laughs) yeah and i always love when i come across female in the living history females in living history world who talk about you know the the women's auxiliary corps and obviously the army nurses Mm -hmm. and the the women who served the marine corps And it's definitely one of those overlooked aspects when it comes to uh, history. And it's great to Mm -hmm. see more attention shine onto that stuff. I agree. And I know Jeff has quite a few volunteers out there in Texas at his museum who do a lot of the um, coverage of the female contribution to the war effort.
3: Yeah, I was just thinking that. And we are always recruiting, just (laughs) to let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Next time you're in my next (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, at the at the air show we just had a month or so ago, I want to say I had about 11 or 12 gals in uniform as opposed to about
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, six or eight guys in uniforms. So we were mm-hmm. actually, you know, kind of the you wouldn't think it would be that. But uh, I think it's very important. And the girls who uh, reenact with me find it very important too to make sure that we have somebody if we're going to do a, a public presentation. We're going to have a girl dressed in every uniform service that they served, mm-hmm. between the Army WACS, the female Marines, the Navy WAVES, Coast Guard spars, and of course the uh, even though they weren't necessarily a branch of the service, but of course we have to represent the wasps, uh, and yeah. then the all important, you know, the gals back home, the Rosie the Riveters, uh, gals with mm-hmm. the Victory Garden. So yeah, and and I can tell you too that I just did a presentation. I'm a high school teacher working my way into the history department. Uh, but I just did, this is the time of year we covered World War II, you know, in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I just did a presentation, um, uh, gosh, last Friday, I guess it was, um, where I was like, okay, you know, I, I know some of these students. How can I keep their attention for about an hour? And I basically split it right down the middle with, okay, I, I did some of the fun stuff first. Dress a guy up in a, in my Army, you know, combat gear. And then I took another kid mm-hmm. and I gave him a May West and a headset and a bailout bottle, talk Air Corps you know and then shifted over uh to to talk some of the uh all the acronyms with you know talking about what the waves what did that even stand for um, not just because Navy you know it, it did stand for something and something that I had just recently learned speaking of the wasps um it was brought to my attention that if you you know people you know Walt Disney everybody knows who Walt Disney mm-hmm. is well Walt mm-hmm. Disney created a, a a character for the wasp and Hen- I think Henry Shagan said he knows where I'm going with this uh, uh, Finn Farella is the uh, kind of the winged gremlin that they use, kind of a, a lesser known Disney princess, but Walt Disney designed <laughs> Finn Ferrella for the, uh, for the wasps that was uh, featured on their patch and lucky to have uh, one here at, the, at my disposal to be able to travel with and show mm-hmm. kids and then, and then of course everything back home, I uh, brought a 1943 steel penny in and talking about collecting your cooking fats for explosives and copper and brass and rubber uh, and I love talking about girls' underwear.
2: <laughs> sure or, did. you do. Know,
0: <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, right? <laughs> it,
2: well, it definitely I, I got
0: didn't think we are going to go I'm there, wondering. but I'm like <laughs> it. Yeah,
2: he's always looking for an excuse to talk about bloomers.
3: Yeah, uh, but, you know, still, just, and, and I handed around a silk map. I mean, there's not a lot of people have felt, you know, pure silk like, like that from, from mm-hmm. the, you know, from the, that time period. So girls uh, pulling off their... Their silk stockings for uh, maps and of course the all important parachute. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's great. And, and I think that's what really, and and Don, you know, you really hit the nail on the head. If you haven't been contacted by female reenactors, you will, especially that (laughs) picture of you in the wave uniform, you, you will, because it is, it's, it's a lot Mm -hmm. like the Korean war. It's kind of like, Oh, we just kind of footnote in history. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, but really not. Uh, So yeah. Yeah, you. I, I can see that coming for sure. Jeff, and you would do an amazing job telling that story.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> hey, Jeff, as, as a living historian and uh, someone who is embedded in World War II as you are and someone who's getting into you know the teaching realm, are you a little disappointed or are you satisfied with the amount of pre-written curriculum in the history books on World War II? Or have you found it's kind of minimum and you have to expand greatly on it?
3: uh that
2: not to put you on uh, to... on, the, on the table but <laughs> i just am, uh, well the i nice... think that
3: subject matter for another for another podcast i don't want to take from sarah's time on that one well i'm
2: just <laughs> we have plenty of time but it's just... i'm actually interested <laughs> i want to hear i want to hear the answer well see the good news is it sounds like they allow you to expand on it yourself while bringing in your stuff and adding to it but i just didn't know the pre-written text because i i I talked to a lot of people say there's not much there. It's just, here's these dates, here's the allies, here's the access. And, you know, here's D-Day and Battle of the Bulge and that's it.
3: Well, yeah. And and unfortunately that's just how history has to be, has to be, taught because we have just such a short amount of time it has to be and that's why most kids don't like history because memorization Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and and i've tried to kind of let these kiddos know like hey guys history is everything that happened before right now it's people it's experiences it's things that are relevant it's a domino effect it's not uh what date and what person said that it's, it's really not, although that is how it's perceived because you have to flip through a history book that's this thick and memorize. That's what makes it on the test, uh, going after a history, uh, bachelor program that I'm in now, um, it, it, you know, as you get to a higher level of education, it's not that it's, it's, you know, how is it relevant? How is socioeconomics part of the game and the politics and everything? So, um, for high school kids, yeah, I'm just want, I just want to try to do the best I can and say, hey, remember that one like line that you read in chapter 26 about World War II? Here, you know, let me hand it to you, put it on, uh, let's talk about that. Um, it's just how it is. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. That you know, especially if you're in, even if you're in a world history program, you're really glossing over American history. Um, now, I have heard from some of the guys in the history department I work with and said, you know, sometimes world history, we have a little bit more freedom to kind of, you know, zone in a little bit more, not just a 30,000, you know, foot uh, approach to things they can pull from certain things and, and really kind of zone in more. Whereas in the American history class, it's boom, 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 boom. boom. Uh, so you actually have more of that freedom. In a world history uh, environment uh, than you do in the american history at, at the high school level so um i'm i am excited to be, to be able to take that and and bring it a little bit closer bring it a little bit more in focus um but you know the textbooks are, are what they are they're just a tool so
2: sarah out in oregon what are some of the main museums out in that area I I'm, I'm seeing mm-hmm. some fantastic photos of like you in front of the Spruce Goose and uh, mm-hmm. you in front of the C47s and do you guys have a lot of uh, museums out there do you have to travel out of state to find some 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 of the larger ones
0: So the the main kind of history museum out here uh, so the one where I'm in uh, that's at the evergreen aviation museum. That's about 20 minutes away from me. Nice. Uh, so they have, yeah, they have the spruce goose. They have a bunch of, um, world war two. I mean so much aviation history and the space museum too, uh, as well. And then besides the historical society in downtown Portland, there's really not that much, many museums, um, in Oregon up in Washington about, you know, 45 minutes away, there's the Pearson's airfield museum. That's that's early aviation, more world war one. Um, but yeah, there's a few monuments here and there, but the, the Evergreen Aviation and Space Museum is, is really, really amazing.
2: Yeah, I was looking at the photos. it looks it looks pretty damn, pretty damn uh, expansive. Um, uh, we ca- we kind of have a little segment on here where we talk about the latest books that we've been reading and uh, maybe we'll let you head it off. What's the uh, one of the latest World War II based books that you've just finished um, in your daily reading habits?
0: uh well i'm i haven't finished it yet but it's uh d-day of the us rangers and the untold story of the macy battery the cover at omaha so i'm in the process of reading this right now It was suggested to me from somebody on instagram and i have a habit of starting books and then buying another book and yep. then starting that book and then not finishing the other book and then
2: yeah <laughs> I, I think so. that's i think that's a, a problem we all have like i i, I,
0: think, I think so
2: too <laughs> i'm just not kidding. i've been reading this damn pelu book for months now like every episode is like so guys uh what book are you on because i'm a slow reader and i'm still on pelu hmm. but uh no that ranger store i think they just made a documentary about that whole um area of with the rangers and that that um gun emplacement I can't remember what the hell it was. It came out a few years ago. I know they were working on it. I know they also came out the short film too. Oh, really? Yeah. Jeff, what book are you reading, sir?
3: Well, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that because I actually am not reading a World War II book right now. I, I, finished, <laughs> I finished Tales of Angels. Uh, that's the one I, I think I mentioned an episode or two ago, and I, I can't help it, guys. You know, I'm a huge Hemingway fan. I, I, I could help it. I, I got I got a hold of another one, and and, and you know, I... I don't know if our listeners probably know this, but I love reading about the bullfights and Hemingway's time in Spain. And uh, he, he, there was a book that was published years after he he had passed away, called "The Deadly Summer" and or "The Dangerous Summer," about him and his wife returning to Spain in the fifties and seeing all of these famous bullfights as they or bullfighters, you know, the the matadors coming out of retirement and uh, competing with some of the younger guys who thought they were they were slick. So. Uh, not a, not a help to our World War II listeners at all. (laughs) (laughs) Although Hemingway has written some great books about, about combat, uh, in the first world war and in the Spanish civil war, which if you don't know anything about the Spanish civil war, you should, because that is a lot of that stuff is very relevant to what ties into the second world war. So, um, if, and I, I, my very first, I can tie this in real quick. My very, first image that comes into my mind when i think of the spanish civil war is is picasso's guernica if you're not familiar with that um and that movement of that kind of surreal art uh really upset uh one adolf hitler who was not accepted into the vienna uh arts because and, and hitler was a great artist he's an artist like me i like to paint landscapes yeah and stuff that's like freaking real (laughs) you know like oh cool mountains and sunsets and trees i can dig that uh but at the time that he was trying to get on board there there was artists like picasso for example who were i don't whatever that is (laughs) that's just a different art movement um so yeah some of the aircraft are very relevant of course the Stukas and what they did in bombing madrid um you know so uh There's some lessons there that you can read about the Spanish Civil War that that definitely tie into the Second World War, just a few years later.
2: Henry, what do you got going on in your library this week?
1: Right now, I am reading one of the part of the trilogy here, Samuel Hines' Flights of Passage, a Marine aviator. I started that yesterday, really enjoying that. While we were at the beach, I read this by James M. Scott, Target, Tokyo. Can you see that okay? Or is it reversed?
2: Yeah, that looks good.
1: (laughs) um yeah. really good book man this guy is a heck of a writer heck of a historian um he wrote another book that i have not read and i it's called rampage about manila the battle of manila in 45. um and he he and i actually were messaging on facebook the other night he was i had commented on something he was doing a talk on the the doodle raid and i commented on it and said hey i loved your book and he came back and said hey man i love reading your dad's book and so But he also wrote a book on the submarine war called The War Below, uh, which has, it details three submarines, one of which is the USS Drum, which is just down the road from me in Mobile, you know, parked by the battleship Alabama. Nice. So I got that book, looking forward to reading it, but, but right now I'm reading Flights of Passage by Samuel Hines.
2: You know, it's funny you brought up the submarine because I think it was like what four or five episodes back I was saying that as I look across the studio, I have one or two submarine-based yes. books, and that's something we don't really cover too much on this podcast. Maybe that's something we need to. Speaking of overlooked areas of combat, that's something that uh, we definitely need to uh, look into and and get into. Submarines
3: do tend to sneak in under the radar. Yep,
2: yeah, they're, tr- <laughs> they're, they're, they're tricky like that. Hey, can I ask Sarah a question? By all means.
1: So I love your your connection to um, Fourth Armored. Um, Mm -hmm. So my my uncle, my dad's older brother was a tank commander in 741st Tank Battalion. Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm. So
1: he was attached to 2nd Infantry Division um, for a good part of of his World War II experience. But um, I know his uniform. I got a picture of him and my dad at the end of the war. And everybody asks me this. Maybe you can shed light on it because I don't know the answer. His shoulder patch is second arm hell on wheels mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i know from looking at his records he was 741st tank battalion mm-hmm. so do you think he just got shuffled over administratively into a into second armored at the end of the war cuz i've got pretty good records on where he was and what he did
0: yeah i think it's a possibility cuz i know that in in the 4th armor there was a lot of shuffling going on um in regards to that with with my opa and a, a lot of the guys in his unit so i i honestly think that is a, definitely a possibility but i don't have a, def- a definitive answer that's just my personal sure. opinion from everything that i've researched and kind of <laughs> struggling to get everything all put together with with the fourth armor division and everything mm-hmm. with my opa so
2: yeah i'm actually zooming in on his photo and sadly that left shoulder is just just a smidge cock to the back where you can't make out the division patch on his on his shoulder so i Oh, oh wait, here's another one. Yeah, nope. That one, I can't see the division patch either.
3: I'd be able to shed some light on that as well. Uh, the, you know, when there was a lot of times where guys were attached, detached, and as where uh-huh. the a detachment of men comes from, obviously, it's a French word used during Napoleon times. It's a French word that basically means you were, you know, you were detached from, you know, like... Uh, from the larger group. But um, I know that if you were, if you did serve with multiple units, you had the choice. You, you essentially could wear the patch that you chose, especially in a garrison environment. Now, of course, if you're if you're redeploying again, you guys need to look the same. But yeah, I mean, if there's, that, that happens a lot in, in today's combat as well, you know, guys get attached to a certain unit and they get to wear that, you know, or whichever one they want, you know, so. That's interesting, and there could have been just maybe just a lack of, uh, you know, seamstresses. There could have been a, a lack of. You know, who cares? You don't. You didn't yeah. change it. But before your next official photo, kind of thing. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting. There's a million. I think there's a million reasons.
2: Are any of you familiar with the gentleman by the name of Freddie Spencer Chapman, by any chance? World no vet. I am not. You know, the nice thing about your cell phone spying on you is they know what you're into. And like on my Android, <laughs> if I swipe left, I have a news feed. And a lot of it either has to do with bass fishing, real world computers. And this this story this from way. Go uh, uh, <laughs> no, that's you and your, your women's underwear catalog that shows up. I was just about to say, we've got we've of covered
1: <laughs> a lot of ground here. <laughs>
2: But anyhow, the adventure the adventurejournal.com came up with this the story that I'm reading, and I'm gonna research some more on this guy. Um, his na- as I said, his name was Freddie Spencer Chapman, and the title is Alpinist and World War II saboteur. Freddie S. Chapman was all kinds of badass. And the whole first half of the story goes about talking about how he grew up, went off to school, traveled around the world, he was a mountain climber. And did all these adventures and literally went everywhere. Went to the Himalayas and was climbing some of the smaller, lesser mountains than K2. And traveling all around. And then it fast-forwards to World War II. And it's, um, I had to highlight it. And just real quick, um, he, found, he basically ended up over in uh, Singapore in February 1942 working for the uh, British uh, Resistance. And him and about two other guys undertook a campaign of sabotage that uh, Chapman later referred to as Mad Fortnite, blowing up 15 railways, derailing seven tra- trains, destroying 40 military vehicles. According to biographer Brian Menahan, the Japanese command believed that the campaign was the work of 200 highly trained commandos, and they d- the Japanese deployed 2,000 troops to hunt down the three-man ha- uh, group down. Chapman and his team quickly ran through their stock of a hundred grenades and a thousand pounds of plastic explosives, which they had packed into bamboo to fashion homemade bombs. And I'm reading through the story, and apparently he was a very meticulous note taker. And it wasn't after he woke up because he, he obviously living in the woods. He was living with some uh, some of the locals, hiding out from the Japanese. And they, like I said, there's only three of them, and his two comrades ended up dying. And so he was living in the jungle with these um, locals. And he, it wasn't until he woke up one day and was looking through his diary because he kept daily notes. And just in this little brief page, he realized he was on a coma for 19 days because he hadn't written any notes. And so he was so malnourished and so under-equipped. But he ended up surviving the war and going on. But I'm, I'm interested in this life of this of this alpinist and basically all-around badass who basically he traveled the world before the war, War came along. He joined up and then used his skills as a, as a wilderness man and just completely him and three guys just wreaked havoc on the Japanese. <laughs> and so I, I, I definitely think that would be some interesting content to look into for the show. But uh, yeah, absolutely. So Sarah, what do you got coming down the pike? What's your plans for um, history and expanding everything that you're doing?
0: Um. I don't know. At the moment, I'm just kind of doing what I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm, you know, doing my weekly history behind the page interviews with a bunch of awesome history nerds. And, um, I don't know, just yeah. <laughs> That's kind of my plan right now. <laughs>
2: have you kind of, have you considered maybe expanding the format a little bit and going more YouTube so you can have more time? Or, you know, instead of doing just strictly live, maybe doing pre-produced stuff, or are you just enjoying the live format of it?
0: So I've I've thought about YouTube. I'm very I'm very foreign to YouTube. I don't know how to use it. I don't know <laughs> like any of that stuff. Um, I've been really frustrated with Instagram lately, and so I, a lot of people have suggested going over to YouTube. But um, I would have to—I'm open to it. I would have to look into it more because I don't know that how that world works. So not to se.
2: not to go too <laughs> down far on it because we've we've talked about nauseum on here. I can understand the frustration with Instagram just because it's owned by facebook and they have the facebook. same mm-hmm. and, oh you want people to see your content that's cool pay a sucker <laughs> so it's yeah
0: exactly it, it,
2: it, tiktok may be the way to go by the way um tiktok you get views without paying anything so um you could easily just take the same videos and just download them off instagram and upload them right to you know with a three-minute format but you can do lives on there as well but um i've been doing a lot more stuff on tiktok because of that um i lost my love for Facebook because you know, I had multiple pages and I've been on there for so long. And after a while, they just got so money hungry. It's like, wait a minute, I have so many followers. Why is only five of them seeing my posts unless I pay you? Guys? Exactly. And it's, so, mm-hmm. it's just so disheartening. Problem with YouTube is there's so much competition on there, it's so hard, yeah, to get the, the viewerships up. And it's when you know, when you're mm-hmm. starting to build an audience on a platform, it's, it's kind of a pain in the ass to switch platforms in full stream,
0: yeah. Yeah. And I'm not that competitive of a person too. So I don't know how good I would be at YouTube. So,
2: well, I mean, you just basically just pre-record your interviews and edit them and then upload mm-hmm. them and away you go.
0: Yeah. But the good thing about Instagram is because it is a live Q and a too. So people get to ask questions, you know, during the live too. So that's why I think I've stuck with Instagram, uh, for a while. Um, cause I know the, cause I know the format Pretty much. So,
1: how long are most of your videos, Sarah?
0: Uh, my history behind the page videos—they're an hour long. Um, okay. Hour-hour long interview, and then yeah. So, uh, the beginning of the video starts off with everybody talking about how they got into history. You know, what what got them into it, how they started. Depending if it's a YouTube channel, whatever. And then um, we have predisposed questions that get asked ahead of time, and then it's open for people to ask questions during the live that they want to ask.
2: Which, which one of your guests stands out in the back of your mind is, I don't know, maybe one of the most surprising episodes you did, or, you know, you you go, you know, you kind of go in these these things, things want to go one way and it goes completely different way. And you're just completely thrilled by it and just blown away. And maybe how easy they were to talk to, how open they were. And just, you know, is there a particular guest you had that just stands out in your mind as one of your favorite episodes.
0: Um, all of my guests have been, super fantastic but last week uh or was it the week before i don't know my concept of time is off um i had freddie joe farnsworth on from uh he's a military advisor for Pacific band of brothers oh we know freddie joe yeah, yeah Fre- and Freddy. and he is just he's fantastic he's such a great speaker he has amazing stories he can carry everything along and just uh one surprise after the other it was it was great i that was definitely a really fun and good informative interview
2: yeah, we got uh, we got Freddie on the calendar as well. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes down to tracking down your guests, are, are you kind of surprised how, or, you know, do you find most of them easy and willing to come on or is it take a little little uh, footwork?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I have not had to like, well, the thing is, for me, I'm not scared to ask somebody to come on because the worst that they're going to say is no. no. Yep. <laughs> like, that's the worst that will happen. Um, but I choose my guests on people that I, I love their page. I love their content. And every time I've asked somebody, let's see, I'll, I'll be doing episode, uh, nine next week and, or this week. And everyone's been super ecstatic to come on and, and enjoy it. And I haven't had a hard time. I haven't had to pull any teeth yet. So
2: no, I just, I find sometimes if you're trying to reach out through, Uh, social media platforms if that person's not following you your message goes into the other box and a lot of people don't even realize the other box is there Mm
0: -hmm. and so
2: they'll send you a message you'll send them a message and it's not that they're ghosting it's just they you're in the other box yeah so sometimes Mm -hmm. you you'll really get hoping that somebody will come on they never get back to you because you're in the other box yeah (laughs) but yeah in the
0: in the mystery box yeah yeah
2: Oh, I I saw you. Uh, you sent me an email three years ago. I just found it in the <laughs> other box. I actually had a friend on Facebook I grew up with. Um, I that's kind of how I got into the military stuff. When I lived in Ohio, his father was a Marine Corps gunny sergeant, and his mom was retired Navy, and we lived in a uh, neighborhood, and I basically lived at his house through the summers and all that. And then I moved away and in, in middle school, and fast forward eighteen years, I found him on Facebook, sent him a message, and two years later, he's like, oh, yeah, uh, that is me. Sorry, your message was in the <laughs> other box. And so it's like, well, well, thanks for getting back to me. Yeah, right. Is there, like, the interesting thing about history and World War Two, for example, is there's a little niche thing that people grab onto. For me, it's M1 helmets, uh, canteens, which is a weird one. I, I love researching canteens and um, life preservers and things like that. Do you have a little like a little weird obsession with something that you can't explain, with, like just a fine-tuned-in thing about World War II or a specific topic in World War II that just for some reason grabs onto you and you can't get enough of?
0: Like a like a time in history. Well, it could be a time, it could world be world a world?
2: battle, it could be something as like I said, something as weird as being fixated on, you know, yes canteens or <laughs> you know, in Jeff's case, women's
0: underwear.
1: <laughs> I knew that was coming, Jeff. Don't worry. Uh, yeah. We all did. I
0: have I have a very odd fascination with the USS Indianapolis. Okay. And that whole story and everything. I don't know. I have no idea why but I just I have the biggest fascination with that story. I could, I swear my friends are sick. Yes, sir, we don't need to hear anything about the indie anymore. Um, you've talked about it enough, but I think it's kind of my one thing. I don't know why I'm so intrigued with it.
2: It's funny you bring that up. Um, I'm in the process of closing down my business, and I'm moving everything into my garage, and so I had a TV monitor that I used to have in my tech shop that I had nowhere to put, so I mounted on the wall in my garage. And so I turned on Roku TV, and they had their live channel, right? It's just like – basic Mm -hmm. cable and i turned on i was flipping through and i was watching this documentary i'm not sure when it was put out um but it was old it was long enough ago that the the few survivors were doing an interview and it was crazy hearing Mm -hmm. firsthand accounts of you know not only the the sinking that we all know about but getting damaged by you know by the kamikazes and all that during the battles in the Pacific and then heading back home. And mm-hmm. then that's when they got hit and being in the water yeah. for four days and, and hearing the first-hand accounts from those guys. And, oh, it's just, I don't know if it's cause I'm, I'm getting older and, uh, things change, but I, I seriously was sitting my garage starting to like get teary eyed, cry and listen to these guys talking about the, the freaking nightmare and, you know, and, and how mm-hmm. happy they were when the, the uh, planes were flying over and kind of, giving them the wing tilt to hey we've seen you mm-hmm. and one guy was talking about how he was he was in his life raft looking at one of the vessels coming up and the next thing he knows he's getting tapped on a shoulder because another craft came up behind him and it's just that story is just so damn heartbreaking it's just I you, are st- you talking
1: about the indianapolis don yes <laughs> okay
0: yeah uh, it's it's an it's, it's a crazy story it, it's i mean there are one of the ships that helped and the war, I mean, they're they're they got sunk by carrying the key components to the atomic bomb, mm-hmm. you know, to so that they can we could drop it on Japan. And so just the whole the whole shuffle that happened with them missing for so long and everything, the story is just intense. And and being in shark infested waters and being dehydrated and being badly burned. And, you know, nobody knew the Indy was missing. Yeah. Nobody knew That's because it. there was very bad communication and laziness with the check-in and it just yeah it's a very intense story but that documentary you're talking about um it's called the uss indianapolis uh that documentary took seven years to make
2: i can imagine because they yeah and and as you were saying one of the uh one of the survivors were saying yeah you know one of our guys got on board and they're like what ship are you from he's like the indianapolis like what are you talking about mm-hmm. we saw it heading off three days ago, or you know five days ago or whatever heading, yeah. heading back to hawaii mm-hmm. and yeah as you're saying no one knew
0: yeah and a lot of the t- they didn't know because because after they dropped off the the components of the atomic bomb they were supposed to go out and do training drills uh to start for the invasion of japan and because they were on a, a, a top secret mission that's where the lack of it wasn't shocking that they didn't check in, but it, yeah, it was. And the whole ending story with Captain McVeigh and the court-martial and, and everything, it's it's a really tragic story for Captain McVeigh and kind of not so, not so great on the Navy's part. Well, that.
2: based on the technology and the broadcast back then, when you're on a top-secret mission, you're radio silence. And so, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff happens. I mean, we hear it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that was just... Beep. Go ahead.
1: Sarah, do you have a favorite book on the Indianapolis?
0: Yeah, it's called uh, In Harm's Way by Doug Stanton. Okay. It's really good. It's a super good book. That's the the book that got me into the Indy, but it, it goes in he goes into grave detail about what um, the guys in the water went through when the ship got hit by the torpedoes and was sinking and then also the rescue and then they go into the details of Captain McVay's court martial and and you know the whole ending of it and yeah it's a good book
2: you know one of the things we don't think about the survivors was talking about after they they spotted them and they start flying over and dropping supplies or dropping water kegs that were basically the kegs were made out of wood and some of them blew up could you imagine Ble- being in the water for 5 days dying of thirst and you're just seeing these gallons of water just blowing up in front of you. And then yeah. mm-hmm. one guy said, "Yeah, they they dropped these inflatable rafts." He's like, "It took almost an entire day to figure out how to inflate the damn thing." <laughs> so they yeah. they got their survival raft in front of them and they're literally trying to figure out how to to get it open and get into it.
0: Yeah. They had no strength, no anything. They were dehydrated, delirious, they were weak, they were injured. It was yeah, it's
2: <laughs> one of the real heart provoking stories as a survivor saying, you know, one of the vessels pulled up and it was about 300 yards away and there was three of us, you know, we've, we survived all this time in the water and, uh, we decided to swim for it and I'm the only mm-hmm. one who made it. He's like, it yep. haunts me to this day that if we would have just stayed put and waited, chances are all three of us would have came out, but we were so weak mm-hmm. that when we made mm-hmm. that swim, that his, his two fellow survivors, they just, they succumbed to their, their weakness and just drowned.
0: Yeah, some also swam away from the ships when they were getting rescued and everything because they were so Delizant. delirious and and dehydrated that yeah they just swam away. Yeah,
2: that's you know mm-hmm. sadly I think I think most people in in modern day they most of the information they have from that is the fictional made up story that's told during Jaws and the famous oh the famous mm-hmm. um scene between uh the captain and uh the scientist but yeah that's i don't know that's just another one of those stories that just i don't know just like i said i don't know if it's because i'm getting old but i was looking at my garage bar i cried like oh this is too hard i gotta, I gotta turn it off mm-hmm. it's like, but it's a day di- uh, seven years to make that i i can definitely see that. that was a well put together documentary yeah but uh very
0: informative mm-hmm.
2: So that's your, that's the, the little thing that got stuck in your crawl, That's, huh? <laughs> that's your one. <laughs> that
0: is the one, that is the one thing. I have no idea why, you know, it just did.
2: But that's, that's cool though, because, you know, and that's one thing I love about talking to historians is, you know, they, everybody has that one, whether it's a battle, a scene, a vessel, or just everybody has their one little thing they hone in on and, and, uh, they have all the their one
3: movie like Henry and the Thin Red Line.
2: <laughs> I, was waiting. You know, was a... we, I was waiting for the Thin Red Line. Sarah, we gotta ask you, maybe this will something maybe this will be a new thing we do on every single episode. What's your opinion on the thin red line?
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get Brian Dimitrovich is, back on here and this, talk <laughs> talk about that.
0: This is a hot debate in history nerds alike. They either love it or they hate it. Um I have I think it's a fine movie. I don't think it's 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 not anything epic. I don't think it's awful. It's it's an enjoyable movie. I don't know. That's
1: just oh, my opinion cool, on that man.
0: movie.
3: What did you
1: say, uh, I've Sarah?
0: To, Sarah?
3: I've tried
1: to tell these guys I didn't like it when I first saw it. I just the music grew on me, and then I grew to like yeah. it. Then I'm mm-hmm. like, well, it is filmed on Guadalcanal, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But we discuss this every time because <laughs> my two buddies here love to talk about it.
2: Well, and, and I said, you know, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, this is this is rough sledding. And then, then I went back, and because of the podcast, I watched it about four months ago. And I realized the problem with it is it's it's kind of a movie made for people who know a lot about the subject. When I mm-hmm. first saw it, I didn't know anything about the subject. I just liked war movies, and it made no sense to me. And now, now that I know a little bit about Guadalcanal and the, about the subject matter, you know, it made more sense. But I think i don't know there's just there's just a lot there that just just didn't land i guess but the,
1: I, i'll try to move the conversation along past the thin red line sarah I, I, I love that you're out there doing what you do i think it's great
0: thank you Uh oh, thank you how can you
2: pass the thin <laughs> red line do what Don? how are you going to pass the thin red line and not show okay, it, we'll, <laughs> back. That it we'll go back let's talk oh. about <laughs> our favorite right back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, you're absolutely right. We're gonna segue from the thin red line and go straight to Wind Talkers. <laughs> How'd you feel about Wind Talkers, Sarah?
0: Um, I think um Nicolas Cage needs to not make war movies. Yeah.
2: Hey, um
0: same thing
3: But but the one he made about the Indianapolis. It's not a Don't. bad
0: flick.
2: Uh oh. Uh oh. Let okay. it let it mm-hmm. go, Sarah. Go there, go there, go there. No. No, you can go there. Trust me. Nicholas Cage no, doesn't listen to the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. You're not going to guess. Anything. Oh, he
0: doesn't? Oh, darn. <laughs> oh,
2: <no>. So <laughs> so let's let's hear your. your, your what was the name I, of the movie he made on
1: the Indianapolis?
0: U.S. Indianapolis Men of Courage.
2: Wow. She even has the the subtitle, the subtitle to the movie. But she says it's I the actually.
0: I, <laughs> is it pretty I old? Actually,
2: <laughs> she owns the no, director's cut. No, it came cut.
0: out like three years ago.
2: Oh, well, wow. I don't
0: know. COVID timeline. Hold on. Maybe like four years ago. <clears> something <throat> like that. Oh, um, it's older than that, for, I and maybe again you know everyone in yeah forgettable um nick K, nick cage as captain mcveigh worst casting ever 2016 worst casting ever worst casting ever um but also oh, here's the a, thing that's a I bad poster
2: just... too all oh, that poster's horrible <laughs> i'm looking at online 2016
0: 2016 okay so my my perception of time is way off here's the thing with that movie if you're somebody who doesn't know a lot about the USS Indianapolis and likes kind of like the the war romance movies, like the Pearl Harbor esque movies, you're gonna like the USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. But if you're somebody who likes who knows more a little bit about it, you're just not gonna you're gonna find a little. Um, I think that's
3: the case with just about any World War II or military. Movie. Yeah, I really do. I mean, because so, there has to be yeah. the entertainment aspect. They got to stretch of the truth. Course. I I, I, mean, I totally agree with that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. It,
2: it, it's so. the only other recognizable name <laughs> I see on there, which did a great job in Pearl Harbor was Tom Sizemore. And he was a great uh, and a favorite private Ryan. But Tom Sizemore is mm-hmm. the only other recognizable name on that I can see. on. Oh, this he, was yeah. he was in that. Uh, he was
1: in the Indianapolis. I guess they caught him in between prison sentences.
2: Or drug rehab. <laughs> was was there like a romantic storyline? Because I'm seeing there's a uh, Emily Tennant played Clara. Did they? Is this? Did they get like the Pearl Harbor out where they they put like a love interest into there as well?
0: It wasn't like a super love story. Just you know, some some lovely ladies in there. Um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as romance as uh, Pearl Harbor was.
2: Are you trying to tell me a World War II movie filmed and directed by Mario Van Peebles didn't set the world on fire? Come
3: <laughs> on, oh, man.
2: I, I was just looking at Mario. I'm like, wait, hey, the he Mario. Was Band people? Rich, he, was he was great Heartbreak
3: Ridge, man. He was great Ridge.
2: Yeah, until until Gunny ripped his earring out, threw it on the floor. Fish Jones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was one of those movies that was heavy on rotation when I was a kid on HBO. You know, we lived at Rickenbacker Air Force Base. My brother's in civil air patrol. We used to go on the base, got get haircuts and all that stuff, and we we as kids, we would just watch and during the summertime watch heartbreak ridge and then just heartbreak ridge and iron eagle that's where it was when i was a kid yes. we just run around the, run Those around the uh, run around the base and uh, we would actually go to the px and buy old m1 helmet liners and gas bags and i had like a toy m16 we would just run all over that damn base not the base but the residential area just playing guns all day and just watching iron eagle and we used to jump out of trees and pretend to be paratroopers and all that stuff but iron <laughs> eagle uh Iron Eagle. What was the other movies? Uh, Heartbreak Ridge. What was the other? Uh, what was the other Air Force movie? Not Iron Eagle. Not well, obviously Top Gun, but I, no, I guess Iron Eagle would have been the the, low, the poor man's Top Gun. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Wasn't there one called Flight of the
3: Intruder?
2: Yes, I think that's what it was. Oh, oh, I never
1: yeah. saw that's it. Good.
3: Yeah, that's a good one. Hey, uh, I, have you guys? No, we were really getting in a rabbit hole here,
2: but uh, there's nothing wrong with going down the rabbit hole. The final the countdown. The final countdown.
3: Do you remember that movie? With wow. Martin Machine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Man. it well. I thought that was so cool watching that when I was a kid. That was a neat flick. I mean, you know, obviously a real stretch, but uh, so storyline basically, the aircraft carrier modern day. And when I say modern day, I guess it's probably. Mid '80s, I guess,
2: somewhere yeah. in there. Final or countdown. 1980s. Yeah. Maybe, maybe '70s. <laughs> is this the yeah, time traveling one?
3: You make it sound so negative. The time travel one? One? Yes, the aircraft carrier got to 88 miles an hour and then
2: <laughs> <laughs> left a big old trail of fire. The 1980s aircraft carrier USS Nimitz is uh, departing naval station from Pearl Harbor. For naval exercise in the mid-Pacific Ocean, the ship takes on civilian observers. Warn Zelanski, uh, the system analysis, blah blah blah. So yeah, it looks like there's some sort of lightning storm, which always happens in the '90s. That's you know oh, the '80s and '90s, because after all, you know that's how you change bodies too. Lightning storm. Next thing you know, you're mm-hmm. you're an old man, and he's a young man, and all that stuff. Uh. I, I've heard about this movie, but I've never seen it.
1: I, Jeff, I loved it. Is, you know, you know yeah, I thought yeah. it was cool.
3: I thought it was cool because that was back and in the
1: days. I was pretty young. I wanted to be a Navy pilot. It was before
3: that dream got trashed. <laughs> yeah, there you. I go. thought it was and, pretty cool. You know. I actually, I knew a guy. So I, it's what carrier did it say it was?
2: Uh, the USS Nimitz.
3: The N- Nimitz. Oh, uh, yeah, that does. Okay, so charge into a
2: storm like vortex.
3: Was the Mm -hmm. was the Ranger the USS Ranger? I thought was one of the few. I met a guy years ago that was on the carrier in the Navy. He signs it when they were using it for the film, and I wanted to say it was the USS Ranger.
2: Uh, Hold on, I'm looking. We don't have to go look that up. Oh, I'm I'm looking, baby. (laughs) I'm there now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But I thought that was a fun film, and I also liked uh, *Forever Young*. Uh, if you remember the, the early Mel Gibson, he was a army air corps and nobody, no, nothing here. Mm, He was an army mm, air corps, army air corps test pilot. He flew B-25. This is before America's involvement in the war and gets rolled into some experiment where he is essentially is cryogenically frozen. (laughs) Oh, come on. This is getting better and better.
2: Hey, you know, we'll know the show has gone off the rails when somebody brings up. Uh,
3: I'm gonna (laughs) catch so much heck for this
2: episode.
3: Uh, Okay, hey, Don, I don't ever want to
2: hear hot shots, (laughs) hot shots, and hot shots part (laughs) two. Once we bring up hot shots, we know the show has gone off the
3: rails. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, but so yeah, he's an army test. It's just great because you get to see the old you know, the old cars and the cafes and the diners and stuff like that, just that, just all, that whole field. And he's, he's got the love of his life. Right. And he thinks that she is killed in a car accident. So he volunteers for this crazy program, Wakes up 50 years later. Right. It's the nineties. Now these kids find him this old army air force experiment. And he was still frozen. And of course this is Mel Gibson. So this is decent acting here. <laughs> so, Anyway, long story short, he finds out uh, that his the love of his life did not die in a car crash in like 1939. Uh, and the rest of the movie, he's trying to find her as he is rapidly aging, as everything is kind of catching up to him. But he's a B-25 pilot. It's, it's, it's pretty slick. I'm going to stop talking. Now.
2: <laughs> While we're on bad 1990s semi-military movies, here's another one for you, Jeff.
3: We Toy were talking about when we were kids,
2: okay? Toy Soldiers. <laughs> remember Toy Soldiers? Just think. Oh. Uh, Columbian terrorists take over yeah, a boys' yeah, school. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. Sean Austin. Uh, that was another vehicle right. for uh, Mr. Lou Gossip Jr. He was in his prime. I'm not game. judging you for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: Henry, Henry's like, do you remember that old movie, The Great American Train Robbery that Thomas Edison did? Remember that when I was a kid? <laughs> Oh yeah! Now we're reaching. Let's
1: just oh, quick! Take a (laughs) shot at Henry now.
2: No, he was watching Gunsmoke.
1: You know, heroes, man. By the way, you this go. derailed hey.
2: episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, <laughs> if you guys... Well, I was going to go into our normal um, our normal spiel, but seeing you how I'm shutting my business down, I don't have to do that one anymore. But if you guys want to support the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, please head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com, click on that Patreon link, sign up, it's only a dollar a month, and if you really, really like us, you can do the long-arm short pocket plan, which is $7.50 a month, and get your free t-shirt, maybe the one that uh, Jeff's wearing, and uh, we'll send that to you after month two. And as always, please like, subscribe and um, on all the platforms. And if you're on iTunes, which a lot of you guys are, please like, uh, give us a nice review, a five star and uh, and all that good stuff. And uh, you can support the show that way. That's the best way to get the word out and uh, all that good stuff. But um, yeah, we have been, this show has been blown up. Like I said, we are now booked out, I think, until the end of mid-May now, I think. And um, Yeah,
1: Dan Carlin's May 16th, I think
2: yep 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 and uh, things are just trucking right along sarah i want to thank you so much for coming on and uh if we got everything in unless you got some more maybe we can do some 70s movies and uh we can go down that route <laughs> oh rabbit hole no uh, thank you so much for asking me to be on
0: That's
2: actually before we wrap it up nice before we wrap oh, it up yeah. let's let's clear the water a little bit Jeff threw out a bad USS Indianapolis movie. Uh, What's one that you recommend for people to watch something, a palate cleanser if other than that Um, documentary.
0: I am seriously completely. It's so funny. I was sitting here during this whole podcast, trying to think of the movie. It's a Stacey Keach movie came out in 1993. Um, And I'm completely blanking the name of it. And, and it's funny because I just posted about it the other day, but I'm having a Sarah brain fart right now. And yeah. Stacey Keach movie with like some mission something of the short. shark. Mission, yes, yep.
2: <laughs> the saga really of the USS Indianapolis.
0: Good movie, good movie.
2: Let's see who's on what that. What was stick. the title? Oh, hey, this is right up your alley. Uh, <laughs> Henry right, Richard Thomas, otherwise known as John Boy from the Walton Boy, Palace.
0: John Boy, the Waltons,
1: <laughs> he was in that.
2: <laughs> yes, it's called Mission of the Shark, the Saga of the USS Indianapolis, mm-hmm. featuring Stacey Keach, Richard Thomas, Don Harvey, uh, let's see who else, no. No. Stephen Landsberg's in there, um, Gordon Clapp, oh, Dale Dye, that guy's been in everything, <laughs> good old Dale Dye, um, mm-hmm. William Jordan, Joseph Caberry. But, yeah, it looks like the, the main cast is uh, Stacey Keach as Captain Charles Butler McVeigh. And John Boyd plays Lieutenant Stephen Scott. And uh, so that's one we'll have to put on the list. And once, okay, um, well, that doesn't count. IMDb gives everything a 6.3. Let's see what the official Rotten Tomatoes scores. Oh, that's maybe that's something we could do real quick. We'll do uh, the Rotten Tomatoes on all these movies we just listed, or at least this one. <laughs> Oh uh, see.
0: IMDB rating is so off.
2: Yeah, everything's a six point three because they don't they don't want to <laughs> offend anybody. Why is that? Not yeah. I don't even think this one's on there. It's gotta be on there. Um no. no. Oh no, oh, no, here we go. Mission of the shark nineteen ninety one. More details. No rating on this yet. Ah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. IMDB
3: ratings are meant to tell you what you want to hear.
2: Yeah. What was the one like literally. You, what was the one we didn't uh, want to watch? Which one? The one we didn't want to watch, The Nick Cage.
0: Oh, USS Indianapolis Men of Courage.
2: Oh, USS Indianapolis The Final Chapter came out in 2019. Hmm. Don't know who's in that one. It Says unknown actor. USS Indianapolis The Legacy 2015. Have you seen that one at all?
0: Uh I am not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I've only seen the 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 Mission oh. of the Shark, the really bad Nick Cage movie, and then a bunch of documentaries
2: on it. Well, she can't. She can't be slammed for saying the really bad Nicolas Cage movie because it has a seventeen percent with the top critics and a thirty percent with the audience. So even the audience didn't care for it. And so yeah, it's
0: well. <laughs> no offense to any. No offense to anybody who liked it, but that's just my opinion.
2: <laughs> you mean the the thirty percent of the people who actually like? Yes,
0: movie? yes.
2: Uh, well, what are you gonna do? Yeah, uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, So, <laughs> um, once you throw out as all oh, real quick, Sarah, as we always do, we're gonna put a link to your Instagram page and any of the other media pages on our website, wtspworldwar2.com. So, for those of y'all listening home, um, you can get the links there. But do you have anything else you want to plug before we wrap up this episode? Um.
0: No, I think I think that I'm good. <laughs>
2: We always save Henry for last because he always has a grocery list of things he's got going on. How about you, Jeff? What do you got coming up?
1: Oh, you're talking to me?
2: No, I said we save you for last because you always have a grocery list of plugs. I I said, (laughs) Jeff, Jeff, what do you got coming up?
3: Oh, me? Oh, uh, uh, nothing I want to talk about right now i've got some stuff in the works but i just want to throw out there i'd like to uh vote that we bring sarah back on maybe in july when we're a little closer to the anniversary of the indianapolis and do let her just have an episode on the indianapolis yeah i think that would be really slick yeah
2: you're thinking that would be fun there's your homework (laughs) assignment we'll have you do prepare 40 (laughs) minutes on the uss indianapolis and uh, we'll come on we'll intro you and then we'll just sit back and uh Pull that string and just let you go. And then we'll just pop in every few minutes with a question like, um, is there any bad movies based on that event? like Okay. Henry, what do you got coming up, sir?
1: Oh, no, the only thing I'm going to plug the show I did with Preston Stewart on war stories uploaded today.
2: Yeah. I saw that um, on so, online. Yeah. I'll have to check that out that went i take it that went really really well
1: yeah yeah it was a good conversation um i i did listen to it i am getting thoroughly sick of the sound of my own voice
2: i don't i you know i used to listen to my podcast as a form of air check just from being from the years i work in radio but i don't i i'm the same way you are it's like i i just can't do it
1: well i', I listen to it because okay what do i do that i need to quit doing and you know the uh yeah.
2: But it was a good conversation. What did you say? (laughs) I said, talk about the thin red line, but other than that, you're good to go.
1: No, we didn't. We did not talk about (laughs) the thin red
2: line. No, I said, you said, what's the thing you need to stop doing? I said, talk about the thin red line, but other than that, you're good to go. (sighs) Uh, Well, I think ladies and gentlemen, I have nothing going on. You know, it's so sad. I'm looking at my disheveled jump boots. My world war two living history season came to an abrupt stop after my event in February. Cause I'm both of the insoles of my jump boots. Cause they're like eight years old. The stitching broke just enough that I think if I get back into them, I'm going to have a complete blowout and our red wing boot repair shop closed down here. So <laughs> I'm looking at these poor boots. I, I may be sending them to Texas. I'm sure there's some fine boot repair people out there, but I don't have a lot in the living history realm to talk about the season because I'm, Unless I do a Marine Corps event, which there aren't very many of, them, I can't do any Army impression right now because I'm. Unless I do barefoot, but uh, so it's been a sad, sad, slow living history season for me. But uh, hopefully that'll change uh, so next year. I'll throw this out to you.
3: I'll throw this out to you real quick. I, I uh, for for here at this museum, I'll be sending you guys some pictures because I've never seen a set of these in person. I just took into the collection yes uh, yesterday. Uh, a, a guy they were his father's LSO paddles from the USS Corregidor. Wow. You know what I'm talking about. The, the, the landing safety officers mm-hmm. bringing, yeah. the guy, like bringing the guy the aircraft pong, in that? on carriers. He was on the Corregidor. He was also he was a Navy, he was a trained Navy pilot, but also an LSO. And his his son uh gave me his, his LSO paddles to put on display here and a very large uh official US Navy photo of, of his dad. Uh, And then the LSO standing in front of him with a different set of paddles, but a very clear picture of his dad on the edge of the USS Corregidor, which uh, he said he remembered watching the USS Liscombe Bay uh, go up in in flames uh, during Operation Galvanic. And of course, I think the Liscombe Bay is probably most famously known because that's the ship that uh, took Navy Cross recipient Dory Miller down, made famous from what he did at Pearl Harbor. So uh Really interesting artifacts. Like I said, I have never seen LSO paddles before.
1: That's pretty cool. I don't think. I've yeah, seen so I'll, I'll
3: be posting some pictures. I'll be. I'll send to you guys.
1: The Corregidor was that? Was that like a late war carrier? Well, it
3: yeah, I must have been a, a carrier escort. It doesn't. It be a fleet carrier. But but yeah, I mean, if he was on the Corregidor at Operation galvanic that's November '43. So that's. Okay. Pretty much mid war, there, but oh, well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm assuming definitely a CVE class, but uh, yeah, there's something interesting that came into came into you know here just the other day.
2: So. you know, we we're talking about getting free t shirts by signing up for Patreon. You don't have to get a free t shirt if you want a sweet ass t shirt like the one Jeff wears, or um, I still love our K ration shirts, I think those are the cool ones too. I, I got to finish making the uh, we have what breakfast and lunch, we don't have the dinner one. But we have a whole plethora of What's the Scuttlebutt podcast t-shirts available on our website. So just go to WTSPWorldWar2.com, and somewhere on there you'll see a – actually, I think there's a merch link at the top. If not, you'll see an icon of a t-shirt floating around on there somewhere. But yeah, just click on there. When you go to order, use the promo code I LISTEN. all capital letters, all one word, and that will save you a – Wait, code. there's a promo code? Not for you, but for a listener. <laughs> money on Because you don't listen. You have to use the promo code I listen and clearly hey, I, you don't
1: Jeff, you have the one I have, I had to pay for it too. So
2: No, it's not free. <laughs> it just <laughs> saves <laughs> you a, a few pennies. But uh yeah, use that promo code I listen and um it'll save you like four bucks, I think. <clears throat> and uh but yep. And as always, send us an email to mail call at WTSP. This is really going to make Jeff upset. And uh, maybe we'll send you some free stickers, everybody, but Jeff, because he's been asking for them. Send us an email to mail call at WTSPWorldWar2.com. And uh, I got to get the cricket fired up and because uh, I got to print some stickers off for Jeff and Henry and anybody else who wants them. But, uh, yeah, send us an email, mail call at WTSPWorldWar2.com, and just let me know if you want the stenciled logo or what we refer to as the Meatball Lucky Strikes logo, and we will get some sent out to you. But um, for myself, one Jeff Copsetta and one – are you all right, Bailey? Bailey's down there snoring in her sleep. (laughs) Jeff Copsetta, Henry Sledge, and Miss Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on, and we will talk to everybody next week. And uh, same bat channel and same bat time that's copywritten, so I just got ourselves a cease and desist.
0: This has been a Digital 410 production.